Hello and welcome to the Club Chimera podcast. My name is Jamie Club, and my intention with these shows is to discuss various issues in the world of martial arts and self-protection that have inspired my teaching, training and writing. If you're interested in the material I cover, please check out the show notes at the end of this program and also my website, clubchimera.com. The website has tons of free content and is a great way to keep up to date on the private training services I offer, as well as upcoming workshops and courses for this year. If you enjoy the content of this show, I'd be extremely grateful for you to rate and review the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Tuned In, or anywhere else you stream or download your listening entertainment. If you want to show even more love, don't forget to check out my martial arts ebooks: Mordred's Victory, When Parents Aren't Around, and Wrong Fu, and leave them a review as well. I'm also keen to hear your feedback and discussion points. Please email them or get discussion started on my social media pages and I'll do my best to mention you on the show. This episode is part one of The Way of the Ape and discusses martial arts evolution. I hope you enjoy the show. The ape in modern history stands as a symbol for natural progress. Such an idea is memorably represented in Rudolf Salinger's famous 1965 illustration, The Road to Homo Sapiens. The picture appears to depict an evolutionary ladder of 15 primates that existed in different prehistoric time periods. The oldest of the primates is a small gibbon-like creature, and the final figure is that of the modern human being. The work often goes by the popular title, The March to Progress, demonstrating our unsurprisingly human-centric perspective on the way nature works. Zallinger, it should be noted, has denied that the point of his picture was to demonstrate a linear path in evolution. Nevertheless, his art has become extremely influential with many accepting the idea that evolution is progressive and improving by nature. Such a view of evolution has often been applied to the development of society, and within society we find martial arts subculture, with their own strong ideas about evolution. There are those who embrace the belief of natural progress, or, like the Lamarckian view of evolution, believe that individuals can completely control change. Then there are those who deny and oppose the concept of evolution altogether. However, like the realities of actual warfare, the compelling evidence reveals a harsher and messier truth. There have been different versions of the March of Progress, as well as parodies used in a variety of different mediums. Even one of my favourite sports brands, Evolution Fightwear in the UK, has a ladder design inspired by Zalinger's illustration. The design shows a line of silhouettes depicting, in order, a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu combat-based style pose, a wrestler's crouched takedown position, a Western boxer's jab, a Nakamoy's shin check or spear knee, and a generic fighter standing in a hands-up victory pose. I'm fairly confident that the order of these pictures was not to show any of the styles represented to be superior to others. However, the martial arts subculture often embraces the idea that evolution means improvement. Just as the appeal to antiquity is a common logical fallacy called upon when a martial artist tells you their art stood the test of time, the progressive evolutionist is at the other end of the scale appealing to novelty, insisting their newer system has developed to be better. Evolution, in its broadest modern definition, means two things. The biological definition, which has become the primary usage of the word, is the historical development process of living organisms from their ancestors. The secondary definition, which means the gradual development of anything, at first appears to be derived from a metaphor of its biological usage, but probably comes from an earlier definition. Evolution is derived from Latin, to unroll, as in the unrolling of a scroll or parchment. In the 1620s, it was defined as an opening that was rolled up. 
By seeing this as a metaphor, it was used to describe growth or development. However, it was Scottish geologist Charles Lyell who first applied the term in biology in relation to different species in his 1832 published writings. Lyell's more famous friend, Charles Darwin, only used the term evolution once in his published work in the closing paragraph of 1859's On the Origin of Species. Darwin apparently did not like the term because it implied a progressive system, yet such an implication was in line with a general Victorian way of thinking. The title of Darwin's sequel, The Descent of Man, better expresses the way the great biologists looked at the way species have developed over generations. Darwin preferred to describe his theory of evolution as descent with modifications. The word descent in the title of Darwin's book almost makes the entire idea sound like something the Puritan poet John Milton would have written about man's biblical fall from God's grace. Darwin's contemporary, Herbert Spencer, had no such qualms about the use of the word evolution when he introduced his competing hypothesis. Having promoted his concept two years prior to Darwin's most famous work, Spencer also coined the phrase survival of the fittest to describe Darwinian theory. Darwin would later adopt this phrase and others would later corrupt its meaning. This corruption can be seen in the line, only the strong will survive. This has become a common interpretation of the word evolution. Enter 19th century fitness culture. Regular listeners and readers of my material will note that I regularly refer to this movement that was hugely influential in parts of Europe, their Asian colonies and America. A degree of synchronicity was also happening in other parts of the world, most notably Japan and China, at the turn of the 20th century through martial arts. Please see my Yoga Myth podcast for more on this particular subject. For the purpose of this show, we need to understand the driving moral philosophy of this movement and its relationship with the emerging consensus of opinion on the various evolutionary theories. Darwin's theory, which would eventually win out in the scientific community due to the huge amount of corresponding data and evidence that supported its core arguments, did little to inspire those who believed in the idea of a human march of progress. Darwin's theory of natural selection seemed scarily chaotic to those who strove for improvement. Natural selection puts us at the mercy of our parents' inherited biological characteristics, which was later explained by the existence of genes due to the work by the great Austrian botanist teacher Augustine Priest and father of genetic science Gregor Mendel. Individuals are the result of a combination of genes passed down to them by their parents. Our parents have no control over which ones are passed on. However, on occasion and at random, a gene mutates. If the offspring has their own children, they might inherit the gene and or pass it on to subsequent generations. The gene's advantages and disadvantages are governed by the time and place where they are born. If a gene thrives in their environment better than those not possessing that gene, then the chances of the individual who has inherited that gene to breed is increased. One of the biggest problems with Darwin's theory is that it is counterintuitive and goes against our natural desire to seek patterns. Pattern seeking is a powerful and ancient cognitive ability that has allowed generations of different animals, particularly pack animals like humans, to survive, and such an instinct pushes us to find order. The urge to find that order can lead us in demonstrably erroneous directions. Martial arts, I have contended, often go awry due to incorrect assumptions and premises. For the critical thinking martial artists to both spot fundamental errors and safeguard against repeating past mistakes, they need a better understanding of why intelligent people often head in the wrong direction. For us to do this, we need to go back to a time when Darwin's theory faced a powerful struggle for mainstream scientific approval. Whilst there were those in 19th century academia who clung to medieval and even Iron Age concepts about natural development, 
A growing number of enlightened academics realised that evolution was a reality. However, Darwin's theory was not a good fit with the industrious Victorian age. Many of those who were motivated by advancement and preached continued human improvement in all areas were naturally biased towards the idea that their species had steadily improved through the passage of time. Darwin's most popular opponents in the scientific world were proponents of orthogenesis or progressive evolution. They believed that evolution was neatly directed towards a goal. According to this theory, all animals, including humans, were naturally more complex and more advanced than their ancestors. English polymath Herbert Spencer was a strong supporter and proponent of the orthogenesis theory, believing that everything throughout the cosmos was progressive by nature. He and others naturally carried this over into their social philosophy and politics. From the Renaissance and the Age of Discovery, through the Age of Enlightenment and the Industrial Revolution, and now moving towards the end of the 19th century, technology in every area of science was advancing at an increasing rate. The evidence appeared overwhelming to believers in orthogenesis. Evolution was a directed upward drive to continued improvement. Another theory, which is often unfairly labelled as Lamarckism after Jean-Baptiste Lamarck, and probably should just be called soft inheritance evolutionary theory, was very attractive to those who preach the benefits of healthy body, healthy mind, healthy soul, fitness culture. Soft inheritance put it that man was in the driving seat of his own biological evolution, and always had been. Belief in this theory meant that the strength, skill and intelligence of one's future children could be assured by the hard physical training and study of the parents. The scientific method, it could be argued, was born out of philosophy, but one of its defining strengths is its total rejection of personal biases and its empirical objectivity. With the benefit of hindsight, we can see that so much of the support offered to orthogenesis evolutionary beliefs and soft inheritance came from the wishful thinking and philosophical, religious or political biases of various prevailing groups. Soviet Russia's Lysenkoism is a terrifying example of what happens when a pseudoscientific theory gains political support. This version of soft inheritance was foreshadowed by the eloquent Viennese biologist and socialist Paul Kammerer, who was dismayed at the wastefulness and what he saw as pointlessness of Darwin's theory. To paraphrase Kammerer, if acquired characteristics cannot be passed on, then man lives and suffers in vain. Kammerer was the latest in many academics who supported the Lamarckist view that stretched back to the earliest days of evolutionary science, often supporting their own idealistic views on philosophy. His words best support the idea that Trofin Lysenko put into Stalinist politics of the 1930s onwards. By having a small amount of success with the breeding of crops at a time when famine was killing countless numbers of people across Russia, he offered a beacon of hope and was able to more than back it up with a political speech that perfectly fitted Joseph Stalin's outlook for the country he ruled. He decried all other geneticists who were in opposition to Lamarckism as enemies of communism paving the way for their mass exile, extradition and execution. Genetic evolution, Mendel's work and Darwin's theory were considered products of capitalism and bourgeois suppression of the truth. With the voices of all the real geneticists in Russia no longer allowed to recognise anything but the Lamarckist theory of evolution, Lysenko claimed success after success in his scientific experiments, but published little data and few in the mainstream scientific community outside of Russia could replicate anything that supported his conclusions. Darwin's core theory so far has yet to be unproven in the world of mainstream science. Indeed, more evidence to support it as a fact has increased to the point that it would be fair to say that it is virtually impossible to study any area of science properly without accepting the process of natural selection. 
It would be wrong to say that Darwin's work has become a belief system. A good amount of it has been updated, corrected and discredited by successive scientists. This is the nature of science. Take the great Isaac Newton, for example. Much of his core work survives as a platform for our understanding of physics. And yet, Albert Einstein successfully shifted his paradigm. With science's strong basis in the material and tangible world, evolution has become a popular metaphor, and as we have seen, it is often applied to the way we look at the world. This brings us back to the subculture of martial arts. Historically speaking, there are two types of assumed martial arts origin story. Some centre on a direct lineage to a single founder, whereas others conclude that at least a crude version of their system emerged from a certain society. From here, many martial artists have crafted common origin myths, where a single personal culture is given credit for inventing the entire concept of martial arts to some degree or another. In history and cultural studies, this is called hyperdiffusionism, which is a word so obscure that your spell checker will bail out on you. The idea, which is usually based on ethnocentrism and often outright racism, contradicts what most academic studies from anthropology to psychology to sociology converge to tell us about the development of human society. The evidence shows that wherever there is woodland, humans have made bows and arrows. All cultures have developed edged weapons, blunt weapons and flexible weapons in prehistoric times, provided they have access to the raw materials. Wrestling is an inherent skill that most cultures have codified in some way. Likewise, strike-based unarmed systems from Russian fist-fighting to Mediterranean boxing to Southeast Asian kickboxing have most probably developed independently of one another in ancient times. For that matter, I've yet to read a book on the history of Western boxing that convincingly shows me a link between the boxing of ancient Greece and the 18th century pugilism of Jim Fig. None of this is denying that certain cultures and societies develop combat arts to a higher standard than others, or that certain systems are imported from abroad. There is plenty of evidence to demonstrate this happening from ancient times to the modern day, as has been the case with many crafts and arts. Although certain basic routes of warfare, combat and systemized fighting are a natural part of human evolution, it's important not to deny intercultural influence and the work of certain individuals. One might view these individuals to be agents of change or evolution, just as a mutated gene can determine the survival of a species. Don't forget to check your feed line for special extra Club Chimera podcast shows on a variety of miscellaneous topics. These include audio commentaries from videos I have or I'm putting up on YouTube as well as reviews, interviews and anything else that is falling outside of this year's general theme. I have a particularly special fun one coming up featuring guest appearances from several martial arts luminaries, which is a reason enough to subscribe. As I mentioned before, please rate and review this show wherever you receive your podcasts. Your support is massively appreciated. Club Chimera is also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube. And don't forget the website clubchimera.com listed in this episode's show notes where I regularly blog lesson reports as well as provide news on upcoming courses, seminars and workshops. I'm hoping to run a few limited number workshops this year in Oxfordshire, England. So if you would like the opportunity to train with me and experience my coaching methods, please check out for further news on that service. Next episode is the concluding second half of The Way of the Ape, where we will look at those who deny martial arts evolution and what natural selection means for the development of martial arts. Thanks for listening.